welcome to the Source podcast, our week in review in this, let's call it Ash Barty week in Australia. Jordan McDonald, welcome. Hello, Michael. Be a good weekend with Ash Barty playing in the Australian Open oh, final. It'll be fantastic. I can't wait to watch. It's been great just to watch her. Congratulations to her and how exciting it will be on Saturday night. But our week in review doesn't include Ash, but we've got a bunch of other topics that we'll talk about. And one which people can, I guess, all have an opinion on is some new data and it's government funded data, federal government data about what we're watching. Um, And the news is good for streaming services. It is indeed. So Australian consumption of online services like Netflix and Binge uh, has actually surpassed free-to-air TV for the first time ever in uh, 2021. So the uh, the research showed that 62% of Australian adults reported watching screen content on an online subscription service last year, which is up from 60% in 2020. Now, 58% said they viewed commercial free-to-air TV last year, but that's down from 61% in 2020. So the viewership of publicly owned free-to-air TV also declined about 50% last year, sorry, declined to 50% last year, I should say, down from 53. So these aren't big moves, but they're significant moves. Yeah, they're not massive moves, but they are big moves indeed, um, in the sense that now we're seeing the shift head towards the streaming platforms away from the commercial free-to-air TV, and that's something that's been happening for a while, but now to see it's officially crossed over where streaming's taken the lead a bit, uh, yeah, it is big. And we talk a bit on this podcast about the challenges for free-to-air television. They're just constant reminders now. And this data is interesting because, as we said, there's a federal government linked to this data. So we know it's not coming from sometimes areas in which there might be different motives as such in uh, for commercial results. But I think it's a, this that other reminder for free-to-air TV. But also... and. I said before we wouldn't mention Ash Barty, but <laughs> the reminder of how important sport is to free-to-wear television because, and we've seen it this week with the tennis, but with streaming services, you know, there's so much content there that we can watch when we want and, and how we want, but with sport, it's still something that people want to watch as it happens. I mean, no one wants to, you know, sit down... A, a, you know, 24 hours after a tennis match and watch it in full. No. Really, some people will, but not many at all. Not so, many, no. And I think as well, and this is probably not just about this topic, but more widely, the American NFL mm-hmm. and the size of the audience growing for that in Australia, especially with a younger age group. I mean, the uh, we're down to four teams left for this season, but those audiences are big and... Live TV in the US, those those broadcast deals are huge. So, and apart from that too, we we know about the broadcast video on demand. So the mm-hmm. BVOD, which is basically streaming um, what you would see in the main um, TV stations on their streaming services, but that's got its drawbacks as well because you watch something on those channel seven, nine, those streaming services, you get the ads you that do. you don't get when you have the Netflixes and so forth, which are another factor because we're becoming used to watching what we want, how we want. We don't like the ads either. Yeah, no, we don't like the ads. And you're right, we talked about this yesterday, just how uh, they're almost intrusive when you go to watch those 
broadcast video on demand, sort of that catch-up TV there. So, you know, if you want to watch your favourite reality TV show there, you get that little yellow markers throughout the waveform there. Yep. Yep. You know when that ad session's coming up. And then it tells you you got ad one of four and there's maybe like 30 seconds each ad. So yep. I know that advertisers that last year they did a little research on it and uh, it showed that uh, the advertising in there was considered really valuable because people had chosen to watch that show so eyeballs were locked onto it. They were less likely to look away. You can't move it forward. You can't move it forward either so people had to watch the whole, whole ad. And they also found that people were more than likely in arm's reach of a second device. So if they did come across something in the ad they liked, they could quickly search it. But I, I tend to disagree with some of that, that research, at least personally, because if I still, I'm approaching the yellow zone, I know that I've got a break. So I'm, I'm tuning out. I'm, it's, it's an interruption because it never really comes to like a natural close. It just, it's a really harsh cut into the <laughs> ad break. Is. And yeah, I'm, I'm tuning out. I'm going, oh, it's my toilet break now, perfect timing, or it's time to get snacks for the next session of viewing. It's, it's like the old days when we had the free-to-air TV and you had mm. the commercial breaks. So you go and do little tasks and come back. That's it. Yeah, so I, I'm not tuning into any of the ads at all. So I, I don't know how effective it, it's going to be, especially with the streaming platforms being ad-free for the most part. Um, and that just... it's suits viewers a lot more yeah. and it's sort of criticism of the free-to-air stations because they have to get revenue it's of course it, yeah so it's not a criticism it's just an observation but again it's where sport has so much of an advantage because mm. sport is a stop-start thing i mean at the australian open tennis this weekend we'll have a change of ends after every two service games the players will sit down and have a break and get up again say hey what happens when you have a break um you can put ads on there and you yeah. don't miss any part of the match and the nfl is the best at it because the nfl has their what they have their timeouts of course mm-hmm. um they have their, their teams that come on and off in offensive and defensive teams, which is a break, but they also have a two-minute warning. So two minutes before the end of every half, there's a break, yeah, which is made for TV. So again, sport continues to be um, really important for free-to-air TV, and especially while Australia has um, government legislation which protects some sports for free-to-air TV, the anti-siphoning legislation. Who knows where that is in 10 years' time, but yeah. right now it's still the friend of free-to-air TV. Um, we're also seeing some shows that are becoming more common in terms of talking points that are on streaming. Yeah, so that, that's a good point that you're making about sport. I know Stan has uh, started really investing in their sport offering there, but some of our most talked about moments on TV in the last year uh, all featured on the streaming platform. So oh, I'm talking about the Friends reunion, Squid Games, the the Harry Potter reunion and the handful of criminal investigations which tend to captivate us all. They all were on streaming platforms. So it's it'll be interesting to see whether or not you know, the, the sport will continue to come across or if something else will continue to come across um, and keep bringing people to that space because that's where people enjoy to enjoy watching it. Yeah, they do. And I spoke about the anti-siphoning legislation which protects free-to-wear television with some things. But, you know, 
Stories this week about free-to-air TV balking at showing the Women's Cricket World Cup. Oh, right. You know, I mean, because they think they may not get the audience there that they want. So, mm. you know, free-to-air TV as well calling for some assistance now with uh, having some of their apps found on smart TV home screens. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because there are a lot of different apps there. There was a story this week about that. And again... That's where I think you know, free-to-air TV had many, many decades of being a license to print money and had mm-hmm. things their own way. Now, they want government assistance here to ensure they can be more easily found on some of these things. So, basically, can government help us with our marketing? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. And I think governments probably will do that because it's just easy for governments to keep mainstream media placated on some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether they actually have the ability to do it you know, with legislation. Who knows? But in the end... I guess the point of this topic is that the landscape continues to shift. The data this week is really interesting data. And it's another reminder that, you know, with this podcast, if we're doing this in, you know, one, two, three years time, (laughs) where all those numbers sit. And in the end, the consumer is in charge here. And that's what's causing the landscape to shift. The consumer is saying, hey, I'll watch this now and because I've got a choice. That's spot on. Absolutely. Now, one thing... We also know about, apart from streaming services for people at home, is Google and Google searches, and that's another topic for this week. Yeah, so this week, actually just a couple of days ago, Google has put up a a YouTube video, which is unlisted, but it's previewing a new rollout called Topics. Now, this is related to their third-party cookies, which they're phasing out. They said they were going to phase that out, and... To refresh the memory on cookies, just for anyone listening, there's there's two primary types. So there's first party cookies and third party. So good cookies and bad cookies. Yes, pretty much. So the first party are considered the good cookies. So they're all about improving your experience when you visit a website. So if you've been shopping on a website and you come back later, it's going to know what you had in your cart, all your login information. It's going to make that process a lot more seamless and enjoyable. Third party are primarily for advertisers. So these cookies track your movements online and then send that information to advertisers so then they can serve you really tailored ads. So many people believe that the third party cookie tracking has been exploited now beyond its point, beyond its initial use. And a lot of people would probably know what, you know, would have seen in the last, I don't know how long, six plus months, um, of cookie preferences that come up when you're browsing sites because privacy legislation has changed. Yes. And then you can have more control over your cookies. But it's not something people know a whole lot about generally. Yeah, no, exactly right. So that the, the, the little pop-up that we see now for our cookie preferences actually thanks to some regulation, which is the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. Uh, and that's... That's given some control back to the consumers where previously that was just they could take your data and track you wherever you'd like. So naturally now with third-party cookies being phased out, it's caused quite a disruption for, for uh, advertisers. So this is where Google's... And they, they did say they were going to come up with something as an alternative, a safer alternative. And they come up with topics. So what that is, is if I'm searching say I'm visiting a bunch of websites related to sport and Google my browser or whatever browser you use is going to go, hey, this person 
is uh, interested in sport. So they'll, they'll single that out as a topic and they'll save that in my browser. Now that doesn't go across to any advertisers, doesn't go across anywhere else, it just stays in my browser. So wherever I go, I can get ads for sport. And over, the longer you, the, with more surfing you do on the internet, the more topics you'll accrue. Yep. Now for the user, you're allowed to delete these topics as you wish or turn them off altogether. So that you can tune your ad experience a little bit here. So it's more of a macro level than a micro level. Yeah, definitely. But for advertisers, this will be interesting, I think, because Google Chrome in particular, that web browser is used by more than two thirds of the population. It's a very popular, it's, it's the most popular mm. web browser. Now, Google will own all that data on what topics you're interested in. And previously, you know, you could get your your data through various different ad programs. But now that Google has this only, people are going to have to come across to Google and pay to be a part of that ad program. It's just, it's a great way for Google to get a bit of extra cash. But it's going to, yeah, it's going to panic a few advertisers who have relied on third-party methods for a long long time. Yeah, we keep seeing this evolving and you mentioned the numbers of Google Chrome and especially in Australia, Australians seem to have this thing where we really, I guess, morph into a wide group. I mean, our use of Google as a search engine was almost the highest in the world, Mm. um, you know, way before uh, a lot of other countries. We tend to be dominant users of different things and Google Chrome is right. And I guess this is where mainstream media... um, looks at Google and looks at it with envy because they do, they have the size and they do have a bit of nous there on how to exploit that. Yeah, definitely. They definitely do. And yeah, so advertisers are going to have to come across here and get on board with it. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what happens. And especially if other browsers start to consider their own methods of uh, different cookies that aren't third party because I think now that Google being the the dominant force for web browsing and uh, and phasing out cookies I think people will start following suit the other browsers like Mozilla and that will start following yeah and I know there is uh, obviously websites that say hey look one of the advantages of the of cookies are that we can track your movement across our website mm. and we can improve your experience I certainly get that it comes down to trust levels though as well to say hey you know, what's the benefit of that compared to the, my overall browsing experience? That's a trust thing and I guess trust is uh, not easily gained with modern day audiences. Definitely not. Uh, speaking of trust, the value of Australia's top 100 brands and annual um, release of data that shows us the most valuable but also the strongest brands, which is probably more interesting, compiled each year. It's come out this week, Jordan. What's it showing us? So what it's shown us is the total value of Australia's top 100 brands has actually risen to, uh, it's at a value of 161 billion Australian dollars, which is an obscene amount of money. So of the 100, 66 brands saw an increase in brand value, 22 saw a decrease, two remained the same, and we had 10 new brands enter the ranking, Mm. which is great. So all the major industries had risen in value, total brand value, I should say. Uh, banking up 7%, mining 27%, telecoms up 10 and retail up 15 So retail in particular actually remains our most valuable with the cumulative brand value of about $40 million, oh sorry, billion. 
Gross understatement there. <laughs> Accounting for 25% of the nation's total brand value. So therefore, some of those retail brands are very prominent in the strongest brands. This is not the overall value of the brands. Woolworths came in as the most valuable brand, but it did. the strongest brands, we've got a new uh, number one in the strongest brands. Yes, we have Bunnings who has leapt eight spots to become Australia's strongest brand with a brand strength index of 88.5 out of 100. So over the last year, Bunnings really remained top of mind for Australians um, by continuing to provide those essential household tr- uh, and trade goods as well as aiding the nation's vaccine rollout. They set up clinics at some of their uh, locations as well as some rural areas. Yeah, and with government assistance too. Indeed. To government saying, let's go and have a vaccine clinic at Bunnings, which is... A massive tick for a brand if you know the governments will go there with COVID vaccinations. Indeed. And then retail brands, when it comes to the strongest brand, retail brands really outperformed the other sectors. So Woolworths and Officeworks, you mentioned Woolworths earlier, they saw their brand strength grow and they make up the second and third on the list. So we've got Bunnings at one, Woolworths two, Officeworks three. Yep. Coles came in at fourth, which is obviously the direct competitor for uh, for Woolworths. They came up from seventh. Uh, and then NRMA, they solidified their top ten spot to become the strongest insurance brand. Uh, and then another notable mention was Qantas. And I think it's worth mentioning, they re-entered uh, the top ten to make the seventh on the list. I think it's a commendable recovery considering their, their industry came to a standstill with the pandemic. So... Yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty good list. These are fascinating. These lists, I think, because you look at the list of the strongest brands. Again, it's a separate list to the most valuable brands, but the strongest brands. And let's face it, Bunnings, Woolworths, Officeworks, Coles, these types of brands are doing very well financially. So they have a high index. They're doing well financially. Who are they doing well off? Obviously, the punter, mm. but. The way that people look at these things, so with Bunnings, I guess they look at these brands, the strongest ones, of how much use can you be to my life Mm. and make sure you're not ripping me off, et cetera. So what use are you? Now, I always go back to looking at what happened around the global financial crisis. So we're going back here to, you know, I guess uh, getting close to 15 years. But Mm -hmm. there was a time then when the major banks in Australia were really on the nose because there were so many stories about their obscene profits, Mm -hmm. making so much money at a time when interest rates were, um, you know, not the the floor rate they are these days. Interest rates were higher. So people would sit there and go, well, I'm paying X amount to pay back my loan and look at the profits that these banks are making. So banks were seen as being on the nose. Now, when the global financial crisis hit, these strongest brand type ratings the banks went back up in a really big hurry so you remember there was uh, government guarantees around some of those banks at the time when banks in other parts of the world were struggling but all of a sudden the banks went up and i think it took people in media and myself included a while to clue onto that okay because what happened then was people went oh there's a global financial crisis there's uncertainty the banks can help me in this situation right So I can feel comfortable here knowing the banks can help me. And I think over time and with interest rates coming down, Mm. the banks and the obscene profits, they're still making profits, but they don't have the same, I guess, stigma around them and the the negative coverage as they do. That, That to me is an example of why some brands 
do really well because consumers can see the value that those brands are to them. So even though, let's face it with, with Bunnings, now I'm always interested in the fact that Bunnings has a thing about our price guarantee. If you find a cheaper price, yeah. we'll beat it by 10%. 10%, yeah. Yeah. Who goes looking for that? I would be stunned if there wasn't a whole bunch of things you could buy at Bunnings that aren't cheaper somewhere else. Yeah, I certainly don't wander the aisles with a catalogue going, I can get that cheaper there, <laughs> I can get right. that cheaper there. That's yeah, I'm not uh, testing the theory at the moment. But it makes people feel pretty good it to does. say, yeah. You do, you think, okay, well, if they want to beat it by 10%, it must be already the cheapest. You, you, your perception is that it's already pretty cheap, but if you find something even cheaper than us, we'll just still beat it anyway. But yeah, yeah you, mentally you go, that's must be lower price already. Yeah. They wouldn't do it if it's going to rip them off. That's right. They've done the work for me. That's it. And when you go to Bunnings, it's generally, you know, it's, it can be quite easy to get a park. It's, yeah. Uh, the, the entrance to the store is wide. Mm-hmm. So you just go straight in. The aisles are wide. So you can generally get up and down fairly easily. It's not a difficult shopping experience. So that's my sort of guess on why Bunnings is where it's at. And we knew when the Queensland government decided to hold its COVID vaccination clinics at Bunnings that obviously that brand was strong because they wanted to be associated with that. Plus, you could see people there. Yeah, exactly right. And that must be – I think that's why Coles and Woolies have have done so well in this list. Throughout the pandemic, they've really adapted well to all the changes and they have been a really reliable – a reliable uh, source for for food for that throughout the whole pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty, but more often than not, you could go to the shops and get what you needed for food, which is the, an essential item. Mind you, if it was toilet paper, I can't say the same. <laughs> That's it was a bit tricky, that one. No toilet paper manufacturers on there. <laughs> but it might just show what we've been doing for the last two years. We've been going to, uh, uh, to Bunnings, Woolworths, Coles and Officeworks. That's it. We're all homebodies. We've got to fix up the home. <laughs> Eat well and uh, just live very simple lives. And get some Officeworks uh, products for kids who are learning from home for school. So now another weekend coming up. School goes back week after this one for everyone. Um, I don't know what's happening with your weekend, Jordan. I know one thing for my weekend, it won't include a Hottest 100 with a cover version from The Wiggles oh. being the number one song. We don't have enough time in our podcast to talk about probably a good thing. the merits of that, but anything to watch this weekend apart from Ash Barty? Yeah, I'll be watching Ash in the tennis, uh, but I am watching the latest season of Ozarks actually on Netflix. So I was hooked to that from season one and I've just put out a new season this year in uh, January, so I'm hooked on that. It's okay. That's fantastic. It's, it's awesome. Okay, I'm... Uh, coming late to the Righteous Gemstones. Okay. Coming quite late to that. So I'll I'll let you know about that in the weeks to come. Sounds good. Have a great weekend. You too.